A reading from Matthew. At that time, the disciples approached Jesus and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called over a child, placed it in their midst, and said, Amen. I say to you, unless each one of you turns and becomes like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. And whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. May God bless the reading and the hearing of those words. So just back from two weeks in Kenya, and I guess I would say, as always, it was a rich and deep experience. And I think I can say and mean it that literally nothing teaches me more than spending time with the poorest children in the world. They are such extraordinary teachers, and they instruct me time and time and time again. Just a couple memories from this particular trip. The first was a a little girl, three years old, who was... um, at one of our schools for the very first time. First day of preschool. And you can imagine she was quite adorable. She was also a little scared. It was scary for her to be in the middle of 200 children for the very first time. For a little while, she tried to wander about and mingle with the little ones, but it was too much, so she began to cry. And I spotted her and walked over in her direction. And when she got just a few feet away, she just put her arms out, just waiting for me to grab her and lift her up. And we had a moment. And for just a moment, that little moment, the world seemed okay. For me, and also for her. And I didn't miss the lesson, or I don't think I missed the lesson that it's on all of us to reach out and to reach up when things aren't right. It's on us to ask to be held. It's on us to ask to be comforted. Because the alternative, right, would be to turn in. And the alternative would be to shut down. 
to hope that something magically might make us better. Another story that came up for me last week is a a Kenyan woman who's now almost 30 who works for us. Her name is Mercy. We've known her since she was 15. It was a great privilege for us to help Mercy through high school and then university. When she finished, we made a spot for her on our Kenyan staff. And last week, I had a chance to sit with her for our annual review, and we recalled together a difficult moment that she had had when she was 17. And I was in Kenya at at the time, and um, I just noticed that she was coming back to her primary school every single morning, kind of mid-morning. And she seemed really sad, and so I asked her, what's going on? Why aren't you in school? She said, well, there's a problem with my school fees. My mother has no money to pay. So every morning I go to school and the principal at some point sends me home. I said, well, let's walk over to school and let's see if we can sort it out. We did and I discovered that she owed $65 to clear the way for her graduation. That's a kid's life. $65. To go that way, or to go that way. So the money got paid. She reclaimed her seat in class But I wanted to ask her a question. So when she showed up late that afternoon after school, I said, Mercy, I have to ask you, why did you keep going to school every day knowing that you would be sent home? And she looked at me literally like I was clueless. Like I was the dumbest guy in the room, which sometimes I am. And she said, I went to school because I might learn something. No embarrassment, no shame. A girl who didn't want to miss one single opportunity to learn something. What an amazing lesson. That was for me. So that's really the context for this morning. The lessons that we get from children and how important it actually is for us to pay attention. And it may also be this funny thing, this focus on children. It may be a way of highlighting that our culture's assumptions about what it means to grow up and make something of yourself are deeply flawed. Status, accomplishment, and success are cheap substitutes for childlike spirituality. 
cheap substitutes. And the lessons that propel our young people forward in pursuit of status and accomplishment and success are often sick. So today's text actually speaks to the truth, or this truth, as I understand it. The disciples come to Jesus, they ask a question, who's the greatest among us? And my guess is their motives were mixed, because everybody's motives are mixed. That in fact, they actually wanted to be affirmed in some way, to be reassured that they had an elevated position in the Jesus movement, in the Jesus crowd. One theologian writes, it's, it's, that's not an unusual question when you think about it. In any new setting or situation, human beings want to gain a sense of our place, our standing, our status. We feel more comfortable when we know the rules of the environment and have figured out the pecking order. Even if we don't like the pecking order or we think the pecking order is unfair, we feel better knowing it as we might then at least look out for ourselves or advance ourselves according to the rules. And so the disciples asked Jesus, what what are the rules? What are the rules of this game? And he draws a child to himself. And we're apt to sort of try to get sentimental about that. It's just that they had no economic or societal value. It's just that they were an economic liability until they could work and generate income. So they have no standing, no material value, and no power. And Jesus has the audacity to pull a child up and say, that's the greatest. That is the thing that you should aspire to. Those qualities... That kind of imagination, that kind of awe, that kind of wonder, that kind of trust. And so we ask, well, what is the simple and deep truth in this lesson of Jesus presenting a child as a living symbol of greatness? And I think one of the ways to answer that question is to answer it in the negative, which is to say, In the spiritual realm, there is no pecking order. In God's eyes, there's never been a pecking order. There is no elevated status. Darianne has nothing on Bridgeport. And New Canaan has nothing on New Haven. And all that garbage we hear out there and the political climate that we live in, ugly and cruel.
But I love to, you know, point fingers at other people. And pride is such a tricky and subtle thing. It sneaks in all the time, almost without knowing. Creates a kind of pecking order, a way of measuring superior and inferior. It, you know, wants to make sense out of our lives by creating some system that measures self-worth externally. I like what Ernest Hemingway once said, as crazy as he was, there's nothing noble in being superior to a fellow human being, for nobility is only being superior to your former self. So to me, that's lesson one from this really incredible text. Vulnerability and humility are the essential building blocks upon which any spiritual well-being either grows or fails to grow. It is not negotiable. It is the single most important virtue and people who contribute fully to the world. Just a little footnote here. Humility comes from the Latin word for soil. So here, science really tells us the truth. Every element on the earth was formed in distant stars. When a star explodes at the end of its life, it disperses different elements Scattering the dust which makes the planets. Humility is recognizing that no creature should become haughty because all creatures derive from exactly the same thing, stardust. Humility reaches its hands up. Humility is that deep awareness that you have so much more to learn, right? That you don't know nearly as much as you don't know. Did I say that right? I think so. And you know what I mean. I'm winding down. So one more lesson, though, because I think this text kind of points to it. Earlier, just a few minutes ago, I cast a little bit of a negative light on status, accomplishment, success, which, which I meant to. But the question is, why, like, why would I do that? Don't those things matter in some ways? And I think it's yes and no, right? Hard work really really matters. To accomplish something with hard work, I think, matters because that's what's expected of us. People want pats on the back when they work hard. That's what's expected of us. But when those things become the end game, it's a trap. Because it's a horrible end game. The end game is you feel somehow better about yourself in the pecking order. 
But as an end game, those things cannot deliver. They fail to deliver. They cannot bring lasting fulfillment and they don't build something typically of lasting value. And don't we want to build something of lasting value? I think that's the reason we come here every week. To be connected to that. Which brings me to my closing story. Apparently true, but one never knows. Johnny the Bagger, told by a regional manager. And the manager writes this. She says, a few years ago, I I was hired by a large supermarket chain to lead a customer service program to build customer loyalty. So I sat in front of a huge crowd and I said, every one of you can make a difference and create memories for your customers. How? Just just put your personal signature on the job. Just hold that idea, right? That every day we get to put our personal signature on the job. Think about something you can do for your customer to make them feel special. About a month after I had spoken, I received a phone call from a 16-year-old bagger named Johnny He proudly informed me he was Down syndrome and told me his story. I liked what you talked about, he said, but at first I didn't think I could do anything special for our customers. I'm just a bagger. And then I had an idea. He goes on, he says, every night after work, I come home, I find a thought for the day. If I can't find something I like, I just make it up. (laughs) And once I thought of something for the day that I knew was a good thought, my dad helped me set it up on the computer and print multiple copies. I signed every single one of them and took them to work the next day. And then when I finished bagging someone's groceries, I put my good thought for the day in their bag and say, thank you so much for shopping with us. Fun little story, but it doesn't quite end there. A month later, the store manager called me. You won't believe what happened. When I was making the rounds today, I found Johnny's checkout line was three times longer than anyone else's. And then I tried to get people to change lanes, but no one would move. They said, no, it's okay if we wait. We want to be in Johnny's lane. We want his thought for the day. Now, if Johnny can make a decision To bring encouragement to other people. If Johnny can make the decision to be a part of something that brings hope to someone else, puts a smile on their face, 
believe that today could be a little better than yesterday. Why can't we? We can't. Stardust. We're all stardust. Thanks be to God. Shit!